Welcome to episode number 14 of Calm History. This is a chronicle episode featuring the story of Henry Ford, part 3, Building the Ideal Engine. I'm Harris, and I created this time machine of tranquility to bring you the drama and excitement of history, but in a calm tone so you can just chill and relax. All right, this is part three of a series of episodes about Henry Ford, the founder of the Ford Motor Company. You'll be hearing his journey to create the first automobile that middle-class Americans could afford. If you haven't listened to part two yet, then hit pause and go enjoy that episode. If you have listened to part two already, then I'll start with a summary of that episode to remind you where things left off. In the prior episode, young Henry found a new job in Detroit and developed a business idea for the mass assembly of watches. But when he was just about to launch it, he had to return home because his father was sick. While home, he took over the farm while his father recovered, and he also fell in love and married Clara Bryant. In this episode, you'll hear how life on the farm with his new bride is going well. But he is going to read about something in one of his mechanics magazines that will reignite his passion for machinery. So he decides to take a trip to Detroit and poke around some mechanic shops. While in the city, he sees something that sparks his specific vision for a new type of car. This will result in some major life changes and the beginning of the construction of the key part of his big vision. A special note to my Silk Plus members, I've started writing the script for all the episodes of this Henry Ford story. Once I finish them, I'll publish them as a super long bonus episode, just like I did with the Titanic Survivor story. So, stay tuned for that treat. You can become a Silk Plus member and get free access for a limited time to all the bonus episodes of Calm History by using the link in the episode notes or by going to silkpodcasts.com. Okay, time to begin today's historical tale. I hope it distracts and relaxes your overactive brain squirrels. The Story of Henry Ford, Part 3, Building the Ideal Engine After leaving Detroit about two to three years ago, Henry Ford was settling into married life on the Ford farm. Henry's father had recovered from his illness and was very welcoming to the new couple. His wife Clara and his sister Margaret 
also got along quite well. Clara helped Margaret with dairy chores, while Henry went out into the fields to get the crops planted. Henry was content on the farm, and he was earning an ample income. But his mind was still drawn to challenges of machinery and engineering. For a while now, he'd been musing about a way to create a better plow than the one he often used. He remembered noticing an article in his latest machinery magazine covering the very principle he would use. In the evening, after the last of the chores were done, he settled himself at the table in the sitting room. He moved the big lamp nearer and opened the magazine. Clara was busy creating and updating the plans for their new house. Would you have the kitchen here or here, Clara asked. This way I could have the windows on three sides. But the other way, I'd have a larger pantry. Clara looked at Henry and chewed her pencil. Fix it exactly to suit yourself, and I'll build it as you like, Henry replied. Over the upcoming summer and into the fall, he did just that. When finished, it was a substantial Middle Western-style home containing seven rooms and a spacious attic. Clara and Henry stood outside and stared at their finished house with pride. After a while, Henry said, Let's be getting back in. I saw this curious article in that French magazine that came today. It was about a Frenchman who invented some kind of carriage that runs by itself without horses. But rather, it runs by some sort of a steam engine. Henry continued reading mechanics journals in the evenings and seeing mentions of this horseless carriage. He explained to Clara how the idea fascinated him. That looks to me like a good idea, he said. If I was in Detroit now, where I could get a good machine shop, I believe I could do something along that line myself, he said. I bet you could, Clara replied. A few days later, Henry announced that he was going up to Detroit for the day to get some materials. In reality, Henry didn't need to go to Detroit to get those materials. He could have ordered them and had them delivered. But Henry wanted to get back to Detroit. He was getting a little tired of the farm. His passion was machinery. He caught the early train to Detroit that morning with a feeling of keen anticipation. He planned to spend one whole day in machine shops. From the station in Detroit, he hurried direct to the James Flower Iron Works. Once he arrived inside the noisy, dirty turmoil of the machine shop, he felt he was in his element once again. He noticed 
that scarcely a change had been made since he had first seen the place years before at the age of sixteen. The old foreman was gone, and one of the men who had worked beside Henry in those days was now in charge. Well, hello there, Ford, the man said heartily. What are you doing these days? Not looking for a job, are you? No, I'm farming now, Henry replied. I just thought I'd drop in and have a look around. Together, they wandered the site, while the foreman pointed out here and there a new device, an improved valve, a different gearing. The foreman had to shout to make himself heard in the clanging, pounding uproar of all the noise around them. Henry saw it all with interest. He was alert, more alive than he'd been for months. When he was leaving the shop, he had a sudden expansive impulse, which slipped out of his lips. I'm thinking of building an engine myself, he said. A little one to use on the farm. I figure I can create something that can take the place of some of my horses. The foreman looked at Ford in amazement. It is hard to realize now how astounding such an idea must have seemed to him. Here was a man who proposed to take a locomotive into his cornfield and set it to plowing. The wild impossibility of the plan would have staggered any reasonable person at that time. The foreman decided that this was one of Henry Ford's quiet jokes, so he smiled and laughed. Sure, and if you can create a machine to make you milk, you'll have a complete mechanical farm. Well, come around any time. Glad to see you. Ford continued to make the rounds of Detroit's machine shops that day, but he didn't mention his idea again. It was gradually shaping itself in his mind. He reflected on that first steam engine he had built on the farm as a boy from metal scraps. He also reflected on the recent magazine article about the horseless carriage. Replacing some horses with a mechanical device had some great advantages. The horses are mostly idle when not working, and definitely idle throughout all the winter season. Yet, idle horses still need food, care, and precious barn space. A machine that replaces the work of some horses wouldn't need any food, care, or precious barn space when idle. He finished touring the machine shops and ordered the materials he needed for the farm. He was now ready to take the train home. On his way to the train station, though, a new steam-propelled fire engine came puffing around the corner. It was going about 15 miles per hour 
with loud clatter and clang, pouring clouds of black smoke from its stack. Detroit citizens crowded the sidewalks to view it as it went by. Henry Ford stood on the curb and stared at it. This was his first time seeing a steam engine run on wheels instead of on the rails of a railroad. It had a huge round boiler standing high in the back, making up half its bulk. The boiler heated the water to create the steam power. Ford made a hasty calculation of the probable weight of water it carried in proportion to its power. The result appalled him. The weight of the water in that boiler was way too much. A lot of the power generated by the steam was wasted on having to move the weight of all that water. He thoughtfully watched the engine until it was out of sight. On the train home, he sat in deep thought, scribbling some calculations now and then on a piece of paper. He just couldn't believe how wasteful steam power was. He wondered if there could be a better method. Back at home, Clara noticed that Henry had returned from that trip to Detroit with something on his mind. He explained his concerns to her about the steam engine that he saw. He just couldn't figure out an appropriate ratio of power to weight, and it bothered him. He couldn't see how to construct a steam engine for his farm that would not be too heavy because of all that water it needs to carry. The heavy weight of the device would sink into his soft fields. A steam engine also may not be able to generate enough power to do the hard work in the fields. He was still struggling with the problem three months after his trip to Detroit. Suddenly, it came to him. Steam was not necessary. Why not use gasoline? A gasoline engine would be much lighter and more powerful. But there were also the challenges of the gearing, the drive, and the construction of the engine itself. Yes, there would be mechanical difficulties, but he loved mechanics, and he was excited for the challenge. He continued managing his farm, but his mental efforts and evenings became more and more dedicated to the challenges of his gasoline engine. He ransacked his piles of mechanics journals for suggestions and supplemented that info with his own ideas. The possibilities of his idea gradually grew in his mind. Perhaps the gasoline engine 
shouldn't just be a farm vehicle. He thought what it might mean to the world if every person had a machine like this. A machine to carry them and their goods wherever they wanted to go at a speed of 20 or even 25 miles an hour. It was a fantastic vision. By the end of that summer, he had made up his mind that he must move his idea forward. He told Clara that he wanted to lease his farm to his brother and move to Detroit with her. She had concerns, and so did his father, and they voiced those valid concerns to Henry. But they also believed in Henry, so they both supported him and hoped for the best. Clara started preparing for the move right away. She packed up all the things that meant home to her, getting them wrapped, crated, labeled, ready to move to Detroit. Meanwhile, Henry had arranged for the lease of the farm and for the storage of the furniture until he could find a house in the city. With all their home affairs taken care of, they were ready for the big move. A crowd of their friends gathered at the station and said goodbye. As soon as they reached Detroit, they found a temporary boarding house, and Henry started searching for a job. He wanted his job to be one where he could learn something about electricity. So far, his knowledge of electricity was purely theoretical, just gained from reading and thinking about it. Electric lights had come to Detroit since he left, and the Edison Electric Lighting and Power Company had established three power stations in the city. Ideally, he wanted to work in one of them, and today was going to be his lucky day. Charles Gilbert, the manager of these electric plants, was having a hard time that morning. Two of the engines at the electric plants had chosen to break down simultaneously. One of the engineers who had been responsible had been discharged, and the other mechanics were working on the engine in the main plant. One of the engines in the substations was entirely out of commission, with no one to work on it until the next day. This is the situation that Henry Ford walked into and asked for a job. He looked like a tramp engineer, Charles Gilbert later said. A young fellow, not very husky looking, more of a slight, wiry build. You wouldn't have noticed him at all in a crowd. He talked like a steady, capable fellow, but if he had come in on any other day, I don't think I would have used him. As it was, I thought I might as well give him a chance. 
Gilbert looked Ford over and asked him, You know anything about steam engines? Ford said he did. Well, the engine at substation A quit this morning. I got a couple of mechanics working on it, but they don't seem to be doing much. Get out there and see what you can do. All right, sir, Ford replied and headed out. It was about ten in the morning. Gilbert, busy with the troubles in the main plant, heard no more from substation A until six o'clock that evening. Then, a small boy arrived with a message that read, Engine running okay. The message was signed by Henry Ford. Gilbert went out to the substation to see for himself. The engine, in perfect order, was roaring in the basement. On the first floor, the dynamos were going at full speed. His worries with substation A were over. He went down to the engine and found Ford busy with an oil can. Hey, you want the job of night engineer here? Gilbert asked him. It pays $45 a month. Why, yes, sir. I'll start working right now if you say so, Ford replied. All right, I'll have another man here to relieve you at six in the morning. Come down to the office sometime tomorrow, and I'll put your name on the payroll. Henry sent Clara a note that said, Got job already. Working all night. Go to bed and don't worry. Everything is settled splendidly. Although he did forget to mention that his wages were only $45 a month for a 12-hour-a-day job. This was a big reduction from his ample earnings with the farm. But Henry Ford was happy. His new job allowed him to work with machinery and learn directly about electricity. A win-win. In the months that followed, Substation A had no more breakdowns. Manager Gilbert inquired how the new man was getting along. The reports he got back were quite good. He is a wizard at machinery. We had some trouble with the dynamo last night, and Henry had it fixed in no time. He seems to know more about this plant than the man who built it. After Ford had been with the Edison Company for six months, he knew the Edison plants from the basements up. He had become enthusiastic over electrical problems. In his idle time, after his 12-hour shifts, he was planning the batteries and spark plugs for his gasoline engine. At about that time, there was an opening for a manager of the mechanical department. Gilbert sent for Ford. Think you can handle the job? Gilbert asked him. Yes, sir. 
I can handle it, Ford said. Gilbert gave him the job, and his pay jumped from $45 a month to $150 a month. The increased pay meant that he and Clara could move out of the boarding house and move into their own house. They found a lot with an old house on Edison Avenue for $700. It was a fixer-upper, but it saved them money and they were up for the task. The house also had a shed, which he could use to build and test his gasoline engine. A few days later, they signed the contract. They put $50 down and paid the rest in monthly payments. Ford then spent $200 on lumber and worked on fixing up the house in the evening. During the day, at his new manager role at Edison, Henry started making some changes to how things were done. When he initially became manager, the men in the Edison plants were working 12-hour shifts. In those days, the theory of most employers was that men, like equipment, should be worked to their limit. Ford saw things differently. He saw men who were being overworked and needed extra time off to recover. This was inefficient to him. He later stated, If our machines had broken down as often as our men did, Anybody would have known we weren't handling them right. No good engineer will run a machine at the limit of its power and speed for very long. It hurts the machine. The same concept applies to a man. I figured out a way to shift the men around a little so I could pay them all an eight-hour day without increasing the payroll. So I did it. Yes, there was a howl from the stockholders when they heard about it. Nobody had ever tried it before. They thought it would ruin the business. But the men worked better and appreciated being treated right. We had fewer breakdowns after that. Everything just went more smoothly. And the stockholders, yeah, they soon quieted down after they saw this. Although Ford had granted his men eight-hour shifts, he put in much longer shifts. From 6 a.m. to 6 p.m., he worked in the Edison plant, then hurried home to eat dinner and work on his engine in the shed. Clara asked him about his progress, and he replied, I'm working on the piston and cylinder right now. I'll have to have a larger bore to get the speed. Then there'll be the challenge of the transmission. He had found that day a piece of pipe thrown into the scrap heap at the Edison plant. It had struck him at once, 
that it might work for his cylinder. This would save him the time and effort of making one. He brought it home, cut it to the right length, and set it in the first Ford engine. The months went by. Ford worked all day at the Edison plant, and then half the night in his own shop. This excessive working resulted in some expected downsides. His men saw him as cranky at times, and his wife yearned for a husband who was more available for her and social events. He went on with his routine of work, 14 or 16 hours of it, every day. Over the course of two years, he continued to work and build his engine. He thought out every step in advance, drawing every casting before he made it, and struggling for months over the problem of the electrical wiring and the spark. Sometimes he worked all night. Finally, though, the little engine came to life. He called his wife out to the shed. The little engine, set up on blocks, was humming away, its flywheel a blur in the air. The high-speed revolutions that were to make his future automobile possible had been achieved. It's done. You finished it, Clara cheered. Well, not exactly. That's just the beginning. Now I've got to figure out the transmission, the steering gear, and a, a lot of things, he replied. But Henry could now see the light at the end of the tunnel. A tunnel that would lead to the most affordable automobile ever created. This is where I'll pause part three of the story of Henry Ford. Stay tuned for part four. I hope you enjoyed this chronicle episode of Calm History. If you'd like to become a Silk Plus member and get free access for a limited time to all the bonus episodes of Calm History, then just use the link in the episode notes or go to silkpodcasts.com. Thank you for listening to my podcast.